0: Now last week was the first time that we together as a faith family heard greater detail about how we as a faith family are going to go into the East Lake and Gate City areas of Birmingham as part of the Radical Experiment. And Pastor David challenged you, he challenged me, he challenged all of us as he was teaching out of Numbers 13 and 14, as he was asking us to pray this week about what God is saying, and if He is leading us, leading you and I as individuals, leading parts of us as a faith family, to go into the East Lake area, to move, to relocate ourselves there. And so I hope that you've been praying that way this week. And as a result of this challenge that we had last week, this week, I think that it's of great value for us. We're going to hear from Ben DeLoach. Ben DeLoach is going to come out. He's going to share a lot of his story, a lot of what God has been doing in him, and he's going to be able to tell us more about what this picture looks like for him and his family. And then after Ben shares, briefly we're going to have a time with a panel of people up here, and you're going to get to hear from them. And this group is going to share what it means to dive deeper into relationships, dive deeper into serving in the East Lake and Gate City communities of Birmingham. And so Ben's going to come out and share. Let me introduce you to Ben DeLoach. He's our associate minister for local disciple making, Church of Brook Hills. Ben's going to share. I'm looking forward to hearing from him. And then we will have this panel of folks that are going to share to dive deeper about how we give the gospel away amidst urgent spiritual and physical need right here in front of us in Birmingham, Alabama. So Ben, looking forward to hearing from okay. you this morning.
1: Thanks, Thanks, brother. As Chris said, uh, David gave a challenge last week, and it was quite a challenge for us to consider as a faith family. You know what it looks like to invest our lives in uh, an area of our town or of our city where there is uh, there is great poverty and great lostness. And so, uh, I hope that you've had a chance to pray through that. This is something that. My wife and I have been praying through for about six months now. About four months ago, we made the decision to move into Eastlake and in Gate City. And I realize that there are members of our faith family already living in areas of Birmingham, like, like Bessemer and Inslee and Fairfield and, and, uh, and some others, where they are surrounded by people in their community that are um, in, impoverished and lost. And so uh, this is in, in some ways new to our faith family and in some ways not. But I want to uh, reiterate something David said last week, that... If you're already serving in an area in this community, whether it's ministering to the, the homeless out in Lynn Park downtown, or if you are serving the Hispanic community out in Leeds, I know several small groups are doing that, and and on Lorna Road as well, there are our groups you know, serving in a variety of contexts around this city, and I want you to continue to do that. I want you to pray and be led by God's Spirit to be where God wants you to be, but as the local radical experiment as the church at Brook Hills and as a faith family we're going to be investing significant resources into the Eastlake and Gate City communities and so pray through that and and see if God would have you to be there to disciple uh, men and women and children and also about uh, moving to the area so we realize that we will always somewhat be outsiders as we go to these areas that are very different than ours and so moving into the communities is a way that, that we can make sure that the gospel is being proclaimed that the needs of the poor are are being met and this is um, our conviction. Today I'm going to share a little of mine and Kylie's story. It's a long story and I don't have a whole lot of time today but before we go into that I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a text that has been read a couple of times this morning and has been sung this morning. This is kind of the centerpiece of the, the Jewish law and is a very important text for us. We're familiar with this text because Jesus himself quotes it several times in his ministry And specifically, this text, in response to the question, uh, what is the greatest command? And Jesus responds here with verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, just the the first few verses here, 4 through 6. I want to show you some connections here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the final sermon, Deuteronomy is the final sermon of Moses, the final instructions given to the people before they go into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. So this is very important. And this chapter in specifically is, is important because this is where Moses really begins to, to dive into how important it is for the people to love God and to obey Him and to fear Him as they move into this land. I want us to look at verse 12 as well and verse 6 and show you a connection between verse 5 and 6 and verse 12. Moses basically said, after you go into the promised land and you begin to receive these blessings, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Take care lest you forget. Now, the connection here is if they are loving God with all their heart, with everything that they are, they will not forget him. So when Moses says, he says, take care or guard against this, this is what will guard them from forgetting God is loving God. Well, look down in verse 18. We see something else. He says, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. This is verse 18. That it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And throughout Deuteronomy, Moses is making this connection. If you do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, then it will go well with you. Then you will take over or take possession of God's promise. You see, God's fullness, the fullness of God's promise is going to be fulfilled as their obedience. And don't miss this connection, that God's people will be obedient when they love him. When their hearts are completely focused, all their heart, all their soul, all their might, then they will be obedient and then they will receive his promise. And so if you look on your outline, God's word on their hearts would lead them to his promise. God's word on their hearts would lead them to his promise, And this is something that Moses desperately wanted the people to see. He wanted them to know God so that they could love God. And at the beginning of the Shema, verse 4 and 5, Moses makes this clear, concise, simple statement of who God is. And he says it with such urgency. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This simple statement. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's been debated throughout the centuries what this phrase actually means. And it it could potentially mean a lot of different things. But two things I want us to look at when we know God, what this means. When God is known by his people, they will experience life in the land that God has promised. Life to the fullest. And Moses makes it very simple for them. What it means to know God is that God's people should know him as their God. God's people should know him as their God. And then God's people should know him as the only God. God's people should know him as the only God. You see, God had chosen these people to be his, his special possession among the earth. There was a a sense of ownership of these people. And all they really needed to do to begin to enjoy God's blessing is to recognize that they were God's people and he was their God. But also, not that he was just theirs, but that he was the only God. Moses knew that they had forgotten God in the past. And so he knew that they were going to be going into a land flowing with milk and honey, yes, but also full of pagan idolatry and false worship. And so God is very, I mean, Moses is very careful here to point out God is your only God. He is exclusive. He is unique. And as he describes the God, this this awesome God in verse 4, the God of Israel, He then tells them how they should respond to him in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Just as God is unique and awesome, your love for him should be unique and total. You shouldn't love anything like you love him. Moses makes it plainly, simply very clear. Because he knew that when God is known by his people, he will be loved and obeyed by his people. When God is known by his people, he will be loved and obeyed by his people. And this is where, as good as this sounds, this is where we are reminded as we read through Deuteronomy and then into Joshua and into Judges. By the time we get to Judges chapter 2, God's people, the new generation of Israelites, has already forgotten him. Not the people that are going into the promised land, but their children. By Judges chapter 2, it doesn't say they quit loving God, they quit obeying God. It says they forgot God, completely forgot him. And Moses was afraid that this would happen. And he speaks very harshly here with such urgency. here, O Israel. And we're reminded that if we don't love God, if we don't seek God with all that we are, we might forget Him. And they did forget Him. And we see the gospel so clearly in this picture because we realize that we cannot know God. And we cannot obey Him and we cannot love Him apart from God coming to us and changing our hearts. And this is the language that, De- that Deuteronomy chapter 30 speaks of when Moses talks about this very issue. He uses this kind of uncomfortable language of circumcision, and he talks about how God will circumcise their hearts and open their hearts that they may be able to love and obey God. This is where we see the gospel very clearly. It's the same for us. The Word of God on our hearts, Christ in our hearts, gives us the ability to know God, gives us the ability to love and obey Him. And it's at this point that I want to talk about our story because it is God's Word in our hearts. It is Christ in our hearts that has led us to see God's plan for our lives. God's Word on our hearts has led us to His plan. God's Word on our hearts has led us to His plan. I don't want people to think that this decision... To move into Eastlake is based on you know, popularity or based on something you know, because David said to or anything like that. This is because Christ has worked on our hearts over the last year, specifically over the last four months, and has shown us some truths from the Word. And these truths have brought great conviction. We've seen our sin in some areas, and we've repented of that sin. And so that's what I want to walk with you through over the next few minutes. There's three truths that God's Word has shown us. And it has revealed sin in our lives. And I want to share the the sin with you as well. So the first truth, God's blessings are for His purpose in our world. God's blessings are for His purpose in our world. This is from Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. When when David first came to Brook Hills, he preached a sermon titled, The Ultimate Disconnect. And that that phrase, that title, describes our sin. We had disconnected the truth of Psalm 67, 1 from the, the truth of Psalm 67, 2. Psalm 67.1 says very clearly, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. The psalmist is praying this prayer. God be gracious, bless us. And this is exactly the prayer that I've prayed uh, my entire life. God bless me, give me these things that I want, that I desire. Same thing the psalmist prays. God be gracious to me and, and bless me and make your face shine upon me. But we can't disconnect to the reason why and that's found in verse two. That, so that... Your name may be made known in all the earth. You're saving power to all nations. You see the disconnect. When we ask God for blessing, it's not for our purposes, it's for His purposes. And so often, and I'm sure many of you can relate, I've asked God for things, and when He gives them to me, then great. I praise God, and then when I don't get them, then I wonder what's going on. This isn't fair. But again, that's because I'm seeking to use God's blessing for my purpose and not for His. We've been convicted by this. And we realize that we've received God's blessing with arrogance. We've received God's blessing with great arrogance. Now, we never would say that. We never would say that we're living our lives as though um, we deserve to be blessed by God. But often we live that way. Secondly, Kylie and I have neglected the giving of blessing to others. We've hoarded our blessing in many ways. And, and we've passed out blessing to others when it was convenient. And this includes physical poverty, obviously, but also the greatest blessing that we've received, which is our salvation, the the knowledge of the gospel, and that God has regenerated our hearts and given us forgiveness of sin. We've not shared that blessing like we should either. We've hoarded that and kept it to ourselves. It's not what we were created for. God God created us for more than that. In Isaiah 49, 6, we see the same truth from Psalm 67, 1 and 2. But in Isaiah, he's talking about the servant, God's servant, which is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And he says, I'm not sending you just to raise up the tribes of Jacob and the house of Israel, but I'm, I'm making you a light to the nations. And it's, spe- it's speaking specifically of Christ. But remember that Christ has given us that same responsibility. He has passed that on to us, and we are in Christ. And so we are intended to be lights to the nation, the church, God's people, Christ's people. And we've neglected that. And so our response to this revelation of God's word in our lives is that with our blessings from God we will share the word. With our blessings from God, we will share the word. And this is our desire for Eastlake, to share our blessings, physical and spiritual, with those in poverty, to meet their needs as neighbors, and to walk with them and encourage them and make sure that they hear the greatest news in the world. Truth number two, God's commands often conflict with our comforts. God's commands often conflict with our comforts. This was actually a truth that hit me between the eyes as I restudied, reread the book of Jonah. Jonah, the story of Jonah is probably the most popular Bible story uh, around and if you remember, Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh and he doesn't do it. Now as a child, I always thought that he was scared of the big Ninevites, the Assyrians, this great empire, this powerful nation. But in Jonah chapter 4, we find out that Jonah wasn't scared. He knew that God would forgive the people and he did not want them to be forgiven. He knew that if he preached this message and the people repented that God would forgive them. But he didn't like those people and so he didn't want them to be forgiven so he ran. Now, you wonder why, why would Jonah, a prophet of God, act this way? Well, if you look back at the history a little bit and back in 2 Kings, it talks about how Jonah was the prophet under Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was an evil king. He led Israel into idolatry and continued in their idolatry. But yet, in Jeroboam II's reign, during his reign, Israel expanded its borders and became a prosperous nation. You never guess who prophesied that that would happen. Jonah. He prophesied that Jeroboam, under Jeroboam's reign, in spite of Israel's sin and wickedness, that they would be prosperous. And so it would seem that bad news for the Ninevites would be good news for Israel. That if God said, take this message of judgment to them, and if they're destroyed, that'll be good for Israel because then you can expand more. You won't have as much competition. But Jonah knew because he saw God forgive Israel and God bless Israel in spite of their sin. He knew that if he took this judgment, this message of judgment to Assyria, that they might in fact repent and God would in fact forgive them. And so you see Jonah is saying he gets angry enough to die because of this issue. And we realize that Jonah desired gain from God more than the glory of God. And I saw myself in that. I saw that I too, that Kylie and I have desired gain from God more than the glory of God. Because when the gain is high, it's easy to obey. But when it costs us something, that's when we really begin to see Are we really concerned about God's glory or are we concerned about our gain? Kylie and I had to come to a point of repentance in this because God has commanded us to love others. Love God, love people. It's pretty simple what we're to do as followers of Christ. But to love people, it costs something always. And more times than not, we were not willing to give up our comforts. You can't love without sacrifice. So instead, we embraced our comforts at the expense of our our compassion. We embraced comforts at the expense of compassion. This is something else that we see in Jonah. Um, After the people repent, it's kind of funny. It's a funny scene. Jonah, Jonah runs outside the city, goes east of the city, and looks back at the city almost in anticipation. Maybe they'll fall back into sin really quick, and God will destroy them anyway. It almost seems like that's what Jonah's thinking. He goes just to wait and see what'll happen. And while he's there, he's pretty uncomfortable. And so God sends this plant, causes this plant to grow up and cover Jonah, and it comforts him, and Jonah loves that plant. He says he's exceedingly glad, that's what the text says. And so God then sends a worm, which is also kind of funny, to eat the plant, and it dies. So it comes up in a day and dies in a day. And then Jonah, again, is angry enough to die. God goes to him and says, Jonah, why are you so angry? You didn't do anything. You were uncomfortable in the desert. I caused this plant to grow up. You were comfortable. I took it away. Why are you so angry? You didn't do anything for this plant. And it becomes obvious that Jonah was angry, not because his plant had died, but because his comfort was removed. And God goes to Jonah and says, and this is what the whole book of Jonah is about. He says, this city, Nineveh, 120,000 people there. I've had a lot to do with this city. These are people created in my image. These are people created to glorify me. Shouldn't I have compassion on them? And it's at this point again that I saw myself in Jonah, that I've embraced my comfort at the expense of compassion for people, men and women made in God's image. We were in Disney World um, over Christmas. A, a faith a member of our faith family, a family in this church, blessed us with that opportunity. And it was—if uh, you know anything about Disney—around Christmas, it is the most crowded that it will be. So the first day we were there at the park, it was—they actually, actually closed the park by about ten o'clock. And so just see, just tons of people, and literally people from every tribe and tongue were there. I mean, it was in- incredible to see. And at night, during Christmas time, they do the big lighting, the Christmas tree lighting, and they light Cinderella's castle, all these Christmas lights, and it's really pretty. And so we gathered there, all pe- all these people, I don't know how many people it was, 10,000, 15,000 people gathered there in this court, this square in the center of Disney World. And the fairy godmother comes out on the balcony, and they do this big show, and she does her bippity-boppity-boo thing, and the lights come up on the castle. And it's beautiful. I mean, it is, it is absolutely beautiful. And so Kylie and I, we couldn't get down to the courtyard, and so we were up on a ridge and we were able to see the castle, but we were also able to see all these people. And as I'm standing there, with, holding my kids and with my wife, looking at this beautiful, one of the most beautiful things that man can create, I saw the contrast between the creation of man and the creation of God. And I looked out at this sea of people, literally every, every tribe, tongue. I mean, it was incredible to see the diversity of the people there. And realized that when God looks at this same scene, he doesn't think that castle's beautiful. His creation, the crown of his creation, is beautiful. And I realized in that moment that I don't see people that way. I had not seen people that way. I've served in the inner city quite a bit with Empower Ministries and with Brother Brian and just getting to know people in the community and served at Love Lady some. And realize that my compassion for these people, and I did not see these individuals the same as as God saw them. There are 229,000 people that live in the city of Birmingham. 51,000 of them live in poverty. And just as God talks about the city of Nineveh and he says, they don't know their right hand from their left. I've met men and women that seem like they don't know their right hand from their left. And yet we've been entrusted with the answer. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And we're concerned about our comfort. We were created for more than that. We've been blessed with the word of God, with understanding of salvation, and with the resources to impact 51,000 men and women in poverty. And we're concerned about our comfort. And so God has put compassion in our hearts. And with our compassion for people, we will show and teach the word. With our compassion for people, we will show and teach the word. Truth number three, God's word should be multiplied through every part of our lives. God's word should be multiplied through every part of our lives. This is back to Deuteronomy chapter six again. This is the truth we see there and in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We already saw how God described how, I mean how Moses described how important it was to love God with all their heart. But look down in verse 7. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach these commands diligently to your children. And then look at the, the language here. This is not compartmentalizing language. This is not segmented out. This is all inclusive language. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, that is his commands. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Every part of your life should be filled with passing on God's word to your children and to others. This talks about being written on the doorposts like Jim mentioned and on your gates. That's in the public square. That's not in the home everywhere constantly keeping God's word as the focus because it is God's word that will lead us to understand who God is we also see the same thing in Matthew 28 and this is a a passage the Great Commission that we're very familiar with here at Brook Hills he says go into all the world and make disciples and David has taught us over and over again that 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 phrase go and make disciples is not just we'll schedule it in and go do it but all-inclusive all the time As you go, as you go about your life, make disciples. The same type, all-inclusive language that Moses uses here, Jesus uses in the New Testament. But then he tells us how to do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them all that I've commanded you. The same exact thing that Moses said. Teach these words diligently to your children. Jesus says, teach them all that I have commanded you. Because it is in God's word that we begin to know God. When I saw this truth that disciple making cannot be compartmentalized, I realized that Kylie and I, that we have built a kingdom of isolation. We have built a kingdom of isolation. We were so intent and so hung up on buying a house and looking for safety and schools and people like us and close to entertainment. And once we got that house, we filled it up with stuff that we liked and that we wanted and we really never had to leave. We could stay in that four-walled, three-bedroom, two-bath castle all the time and go out for a little random task here and there and serve people when we could and be living in our little kingdom. We isolated ourselves to the point where we really, after four years, haven't gotten to know our neighbors that well. And as a result, we've separated our lives from service. We've separated our lives from service. As we've seen, the law of God and the love of God should be integrated into every aspect of our lives. That includes where we live. And when we love God with all that we are, every decision that we make will be dictated by His will, by His command. Serving Christ, loving the church... Loving the poor, seeking the lost. It can't be something that we schedule into our kingdoms. It's got to be all-inclusive. Scripture doesn't give us any other option. And so, in response to these two sins in our life, with our surrender to Christ, we will serve the world. With our surrender to Christ, we will serve the world. There's a lot more to share and there are more truths that I could sh- share with you and stories I could tell about what God has done over the last six months. But There's one final thing I want to share with you, and, and this is a question that was posed to me by a missionary. This is a missionary to the, not one of the, the hardest to reach area in the world, the most unreached area in the world. This is where this missionary and his team live and where they work. And he stood before Kylie and I. Uh, we would had dinner with him, and he said answer this question for me. What are some good reasons why you're not with me? What are some good reasons why you're not living with me? And he meant living in that context. And we gave him some reasons that we thought were were pretty good. And he said, well, sure, those are good reasons for now, but what, what could not be overcome? Which one of those reasons that you just gave us could not be overcome if you really tried? And he was exactly right. None of the reasons that we gave him in light of God's word and in light of just, just practicality, could not have been overcome. And so we began wrestling really with this question, why do we live where we live? What is our reasoning for that? When we moved to this house in Chelsea, we didn't, we didn't think about how our living there would impact the community. We really didn't. We were building our, our kingdom. And so I want to ask this same question to you as a faith family, as my faith family. And here it is, I've worded it a little different. If we love God with all that we are, which is what the Word tells us to do, and if we call Christ Lord, if we believe the Word is true, then what good reasons are there for not planning our lives among the lost and the poor? What good reasons are there for not planning our lives among the lost and the poor? And I'm not just referring to the lost and poor in Birmingham, but all around the world, anywhere. It's like this missionary asks, what are good reasons? Biblical, Christ-honoring reasons for not planning our lives among the lost and the poor. And while you prayerfully consider this question, I want you to watch the video that we saw last week. Some of you may have not seen it. Just kind of a survey of Eastlake with some statistics to kind of describe the community a little bit. And I'm gonna have a, a panel of, of men and women here that are also serving in the area. And we're going to be sharing a little bit. But watch this video as you pray through and think through this question.
0: want us as a faith family to hear from some people that are arms deep already so to speak in serving and sharing the gospel in this area and so we've got a group gathered this morning that I'm really excited to talk to you in front of and uh, so we're going to start down here on my far left with Keith Stanley. Keith is our team leader for our local disciple making at the church at Brook Hills. And so, Keith, uh, we'll just begin with you. And I was wondering if you would share maybe two or three reasons. There's a lot of places in Birmingham that we could pour resources, and there's a lot of places that we could mobilize small groups. So why Eastlake? Why Gate City? It's
2: a great question. Uh, There are a lot of places where our small groups are investing themselves and making a difference around the city. But Eastlake and Gate City is one of those areas where very few churches are investing at this point. Uh, we know there are real issues of poverty there. Uh, a third of the people are living under $20,000 a year, uh, 40% unemployment rate. There's huge issues for orphans and widows in the area. 62% of the kids living in the area are being raised by a grandparent. Half the seniors in the area are disabled. There's, there's huge needs for people to come along minister to those seniors and support those children, tutoring, mentoring, pouring our lives into them. It's also a place where our people have already been called. Over 100 people have been investing their lives already in the Eastlake area at the Lovelady Center and in partnerships with local churches there. And it's a, an area of great opportunity. Uh, as we've traveled around East Lake Gate City, interviewed local pastors, community organizations, school officials, uh, others who are in positions of leadership, we found a great openness for our people to come alongside the residents and minister in the name of Christ there. So... It's just a, an open door, we, we feel like.
0: So what are some possible opportunities that, and I know nothing is set in concrete, and that's why we we're part of this panel this morning, but what are some opportunities for small groups to mobilize in that area?
2: Well, we're working on a lot of different opportunities. Uh, obviously, the main thing we want to do is create relational disciple-making relationships. We want to build friendships with the people in those communities. And, We're gonna be mobilizing small groups to help do that through a number of ways. We'll be working with partners like the Love Lady Center and schools and senior adult centers and local churches. Uh, But we'll also be having some uh, special outreach initiatives, things like backyard Bible clubs, home Bible studies, health clinics, uh, just a number of ways to help build relationships, sports leagues, and uh, even some workshops that we'll sponsor for people in the community. Uh, ultimately, we hope to be able to mobilize small groups as well to address some of the education, economic, and development needs of the community at large.
0: And you mentioned one person you spoke with said that you were the only, the second church, I believe, to even be interested in possibly talking with this area, that, in his particular area. Is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, one of the organizations we've met with in Gate City, which has had a, a, a long history of crime in that area, uh, was surprised that we wanted to come help and said we were only the second church. In five years willing to come down and help. And, and that's exciting to see the responsiveness of the people on the ground uh, looking for help.
0: Now, tell us real briefly about the orientations coming up at the end of this month. What, what's the purpose of those?
2: Sure. Uh, two weeks from tonight, we'll have our first orientation for anyone interested in wanting to serve in the Gate City-East Lake area. There will be a following one on Wednesday night, March 31st. And the purpose of that is a couple of folks. We want you to know about the opportunities more specifically, how your group can get involved. But also we want you to understand a little more about uh, cross-cultural ministry and being culturally sensitive as we go into different areas of the city, particularly urban areas. Uh, Sammy Campbell will be doing some training with all of our people going into the area so that we do that with love and compassion and dignity as we move into inner city areas.
0: Keith had mentioned that... Brook Hills is already uh, arms deep in a lot of different ways in this area, and one of those areas is the Love Lady Center, and Vernetta Young is with us this morning, and Vernetta is on staff there at the Love Lady Center, and we joked about how long her title should be if we captured everything that she did. But uh, Vernetta, you are serving in, in, in a great capacity there. But your journey began before then, and th- you were actually served by and ministered to by the Love Lady Center. And so, can you just give a brief picture of how you came to be?
3: Yes. Um, just a long, maybe someone would say, a productive life, and um, which I thought was productive. Um, married and children and then some kind of way I, um, after divorce and domestic violence moved to the Mobile area. There um, had a tragic just um, passing of a child and it was just very tragic and then became addicted to prescription medication and from that addiction to prescription medication just took it to the next level illegal drugs, heroin, crack cocaine, and that addiction just took everything away from me. Um, the rest, the other two children, house, home, and everything. Found myself um, just on the streets, just doing whatever you can to get that next high. Bouts with the law and everything. And from there, Angel came into my life and referred to the Lovelady Center. And after I got there, still in a mode of depression, Um, suicidal attempts and then from there went through the drug rehab program there after the drug rehab program graduated and then moved into the transitional housing part of the program there um, I was introduced to Jesus and accepted him into my life a father that I had never had never had a relationship with and then I realized that he was a friend as well he could be your best friend and from there, my life started um, restoration with children. Um, they came and everyone was baptized there. And just my life took off in a whole nother direction. And that became employed outside the Love Lady Center, still living there and going through the program. And then just do, God just started opening doors for me. And, you know, it's just overwhelming on, you know, the possibilities and all that I learned in this new lifestyle that was introduced to me at that center
0: now your story is not really that uncommon for ladies that are there Uh, if you could give uh, the folks that are listening this morning if explain a little bit about what are the top few reasons that people end up in the love lady center
3: the Love Lady Center was originally opened up for women coming out of incarceration when they didn't want to go back to that same old lifestyle. It was an alternative for them to come back and... um get a new lifestyle, renew your mind, and just do a whole nother way so they wouldn't be caught up in the Alabama's recidivism rate. But now we open our doors to those women. We are an alternative for prison. So some women there, instead of going to prison, they do their time at the Love Ladies Center. We have a domestic violence program. We have a drug treatment program. And now in these economic times, we're seeing that women are just coming there because they're, them and their children are homeless. So we open the door. To them as well. Praise God for what He has done in Vernetta
0: Young's life. And so I appreciate you being willing to share that this morning. Next on my left, I've got uh, Beverly Fleming. And Beverly is part of the Church at Brook Hills Faith Family. And she's a small group leader. And Beverly, actually, you were leading small groups, women on Wednesday morning here on this campus, right? Now, tell me, if you would, or tell uh, the folks in this room. How did you lead people from investing right here, or how did you go from investing here to investing uh, in Eastlake?
4: I have been teaching a number of years on Wednesday morning, and uh, I guess it's a little over a year ago uh, God had said, uh, "You need to go to the next level. I wasn't sure what that was, so I kept praying about it and praying about it. And then one day, lo and behold, uh, this young lady comes to our Sunday school class and she's talking about Love Lady. Um, it was, um, it really got our attention. She invited our class to um, to go to a tour of the facility and um, we did and I sat in on some classes and then I was hooked.
0: Mm. Now. Vernetta, earlier, uh, in the first time we gathered this morning, mentioned about mentoring, mentioned about disciple making, because I think, if I'm correct, there was a lady from the suburbs, uh, maybe Mount Laurel area, that had poured into your life uh, encouragement and those kind of things, prayer, partnering. And uh, Beverly, you've been involved in that as well. Tell us a little bit about that and how other women are going along with you in that picture.
4: Well, I have um, uh, mentored one lady who has graduated the program and I'm currently mentoring another lady. Um, the, I'm constantly recruiting for Love Lady, so um, I might get you in the hall sometime and we'll chat about it. But um, I'm constantly recruiting for people to be mentors. These women uh, at Love Lady need mentors. They need to know the love of Christ up close and personal. Sometimes they come from families that... Um, are certainly dysfunctional that uh, don't have any love in them. And these women are so starved for love. One woman just came up to me one time and said, I just need a hug. That's pretty convicting.
0: Appreciate you sharing this morning. Thank you for doing this. On my right, uh, I have Sammy Campbell, and Sammy is working alongside us. Uh, Sammy uh, grew up in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. And he has literally done uh, urban ministry in a variety of places around the United States. And so we are privileged for uh, having Sammy to help us. You know, when we go into this area, as the Church of Brook Hills and as people of God, it is more, we are Christians, we are people of God, and we go into this area. We want to not inhibit the spread of the gospel, but we want to facilitate the spread of the gospel. And so Sammy uh, is helping us. He's going to be part of this training that's coming up in how to uh, understand what we're doing. And Sammy, we're going in there sort of as outsiders. And so if you could give uh, maybe some general advice, an overview a little bit about what we need to remember about doing ministry in East Lake Gate City.
5: I uh, previously was a a missionary to Washington, D.C., and I recall the time when I first went to Washington, D.C., The area for which I served was the murder capital of the U.S. It was Ward 9 in Washington, D.C. You know there was a lot of trepidation I went (laughs) with uh, knowing that I was going to be working in the murder capital of the U.S. Ward 9 was a primary area. So as I embarked upon asking these churches who I was working with to come join me, Everybody was excited to learn that I was there to help them do this work and, and so forth. So, but as I engaged them to come join me and to volunteer their time, the best response that I could get from them was, we will pray for you, brother. We think that God can be everywhere in our lives but not in the heart areas. And as we recall distinctly in Matthew 28, Great Commission, he said, And lo, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. And we need to know that these areas that we're going into, this deal, these problems we're dealing with in urban area, is spiritual-based. And there is no other group that's equipped to deal with spiritual issues than the church. The government can't do it. Even faith-based organizations can't do it alone. The church must be involved in that. We can summon a power that none other can. So I would say the greatest need that we need to be aware of is that We are not going into these communities alone. It is our responsibility as Christians to be in there. And God is with us.
0: If you would, tell us a couple of coaching points uh, as we begin to embark on this. And there are going to be people across this family that uh, are, are going into this area. Just a couple of quick coaching points to remember that we can think about.
5: Relationships are key. The... The civil rights movement caused us to start these trends of people movement in and out of the community. And the city dwellers now are less trusting of the church because of that. So we must be involved with opportunities that's going to uh, create these opportunities for us to reestablish these relationships. There are two things, two questions that I would like. Well, one thing, three things, actually. One thing I would like to bring to your attention is, first of all, that you can't go into those communities with your preconceived uh, ideas and thoughts about the, the plight, their plights. Um, y- you've got to be on a firm foundation of uh, unders- trying to learn what they, they know. In fact, I say you must be the listener. The other thing, the other uh, things in two questions. One, you must uh, ask, answer this question. That is, why are you here? Talk about working in the community. And how long will you stay? It's going to be significantly important that you have those answered. Because invariably, they're going to be asked in some form or fashion and a lot of times they may not be asked just verbally. In body language and in attitude, you'll find out that they really don't think you are investing in their lives.
0: Thank you, Sammy. We're looking forward to working alongside him. Sammy brings a great wealth of understanding about those communities, Uh, and so we're, we're thankful that he is gonna help us in this way. Uh, next, I want to do something a little different. Uh, we've heard from Ben. Ben, you've had your, your chance. And, uh, but I want to hear from Kylie because uh, Kylie is a vital part of this mission to involve uh, their lives in the East Lake Gate City community. And so, Kylie, uh, if you would, like you're not simply just uh, following along behind Ben, but God is speaking to you on an individual level about this, and I wanted you to share more about that, if you would. So,
6: sure. Um, I am following Ben, but he has been the spiritual leader in our house. Um, he is definitely the one that came up to me and said, Let, "Let's consider Eastlake." It's not something that I was all gung ho about at first. Um, it was, you know, in the first conversation that we really had about it, it was me giving him opposition and given all of the excuses and all the reasons but you know we have kids and we have this great life and we have this great school system and it became all of our comforts and in that moment it was when I was convicted of my pride and um, was just really humbled by um, you know what or the sin that was in my life or in our lives um, and so that's, that's kind of been the, the path leading up to this is just humility and realizing that if we really love God, then we're going to go and love the people too.
0: Appreciate you being transparent in that, Kylie. Now, you do have children, and you are going from a setting where the schools are really good, and it's probably very familiar, and you're going into a setting where the schools may not be so good. So talk to us a little bit about where God is leading you educationally, that picture.
6: Uh, Well, we will be homeschooling, Um, and for me to say that is actually a lot bigger than we're moving to Eastlake. That was not something that I ever wanted to do or ever thought that we would be doing, Um, but as God has changed our hearts in moving to um, a place that is not as comfortable, He has also changed our hearts as far as what we will do for schooling. And um, so homeschooling is the route that we are going to go, and I'm actually excited to say that I'm kind of looking forward to it. Man,
0: that's great. Okay, so this is the time when Kylie gets to go first, by the way, where you share how can we as a faith family pray for you guys. How? What are the things that you would ask for the most? So Kylie, if you'll lead in that, and then Ben, uh, go ahead after that. So,
6: um, Well, I would say wisdom would be... My top prayer request right now, there's going to be a lot of change, a lot of things that are different, just how do we work homeschooling, how do we work ministry, how do we work being a family, Um, just in this different setting and not as comfortable. So we don't want it to be us doing this, we want it to be something that God is doing through us. And so just some wisdom in that as far as um, the way that we go not to be our ways, to be God's ways
1: yeah um i totally agree with kylie uh, on that the i guess so yeah yeah um but i guess the the, the temptation in, in moving to any area i guess would be to identify people just like us and I, I really i don't want to go that route again unless that's where god has us but that god would begin to Convict men and women in the community, raise men and women up in the community that we could invest in, and, and that God would entrust to us to invest in. So, for us to be sensitive to that, and um, and have our eyes open for those individuals, regardless of if they're like us or not. You know, um, the second thing, and, and this is, um, it goes back to leading our family, is that. I don't, I don't want uh, trying to minister to all these needs of people in poverty to ever come between us and, and, and hurt our family at all. And so we want to be able to balance that. We are serving people in poverty, but we are not overwhelming um, one another or, or our family. And so that's something we we'll have to guard against. And something I've had to guard against at Brook Hills as well as a you know, full-time minister And uh, I've been good at that sometimes and not so good at others. But uh, for this, for our family to be lived out in front of people in the community, for people to see that we're focused on Christ and focused on the gospel, it's going to be very important um, for us to guard our family and uh, as we serve people in the community. So those two things.
0: I'm thankful for Ben and Kylie and the way that they have been transparent with us. And what I want us to do now is... We're going to pray for them in just a moment, but Dr. Platt had challenged us last week to pray about whether God would place us in Eastlake, and Ben and Kylie, uh, before this, have been experiencing a leading by God to place their lives in that context, and I want us to pray for them. and You guys, as a faith family... If God is speaking to you at all in this direction, then we're going to have a chance, as Keith mentioned, at the end of this month to be part of some orientation that will help us better understand ministry in that community. And certainly I would encourage you, as he is leading you in any way in this process, that you need to make yourself a part of one of those uh, orientation times coming at the end of this month.